0: Seemingly out of nowhere, the expression Giants on Earth crops up in Genesis 6.4. The meaning of some Bible passages is not as obvious as it might appear at first glance. We have heard of the Nephilim, the sons of God and the giants. It presents us with A very strange possibility that we do not live alone and there are others among us. If so, where do they come from? What do they look like? What are they here for? And are they still here? Time and time again, they are mentioned throughout our history. Well, we have Mr. James Keenan coming on the podcast today, and he is a researcher of not only high strangeness in the Uinta Basin, but giants, UFOs, aliens, and more. We're going to get into the ins and the outs of these giants, whether they live in caves, underground, and possibly more important, where they live on the planet Earth. We will also delve into the possibility that the fallen angels were, in some sense, the fathers of the old giants, which was the constant opinion of antiquity and ancient texts. Utah has a long history incorporating mythology and legend surrounding the enigma of giant humanoids. There are also examples of this in Nevada with the Lovelock Cave area. There are examples of this in Afghanistan. And many other places around the world. Speaking of world, why in the world haven't you subscribed to Hero Paranormal on Patreon? We have a ton of content waiting for you behind the paywall, very easy to access. You just go to HeroParanormal.com or you can go to Patreon and look up Hero Paranormal. As I said, a ton of content behind the paywall and a new tier of only $5 to access everything. So if you haven't gone by, please go by. It helps us pay for the podcast and bringing it to you. Also, if you haven't subscribed to Hero Paranormal on YouTube, please do. Go to Hero Paranormal, subscribe, like, and share. It's the only way we can bust through the algorithm and the extreme shadow ban that has been placed on us it seems no matter how many listeners we gather we can't seem to get monetized and that's okay i'm not in it for the money but i would at least like the word to get out so please like share and subscribe and buckle up for a heck of a trip into the caverns of mystery surrounding giants <laughs> Blast off in my time machine, Third, I feel like a nevising blast off. Blast off, blast off, blast off. Come, blast off in my time machine, Third, I feel like an Blast off, blast off, blast off. Blast off, blast off. On another epic episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization Podcast. AKA Hero Paranormal, broadcasting from just south of the old Bigelow Ranch in the Uinta Basin of Utah. My name is Ryan, the anomalous ambassador of the airwaves, bringing you a giant episode tonight. We have none other than James Keenan, researcher of the Uinta Basin and giants worldwide. He's looked into this enigma, not only at the petroglyphs, the stomping grounds, and delving deeply into the research, but he's asking the larger questions, questions that keep me coming back, and I just like James. Uh, James has been out to the science project that we have, Space Wolf Research, in the Uinta Basin of Utah, and he has some incredible insights when it comes to a lot of things, so this should be a stunner of an episode. James Keenan, welcome back to the Hero Paranormal Podcast.
1: Hey Ryan, how you doing? Thanks for having me back on.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I know that you are interested in a lot of the things that I'm interested in. And uh, among those things is uh, giants. And we, we find that there is a lot of history surrounding this. And a question I don't know if I've asked you in the past and it's been it's been kind of itching at me is what started you along this path of looking into not only high strangeness, but being so fascinated with this enigma of giants.
1: Yeah, so uh, doing a lot of uh, excavation and work down in Mexico, um, you, you just you can't help but notice there are some things that are out of place. And when you're collecting uh, oral traditions, um, you know, and ethnologies and things of that nature from uh, the locals, especially if they have uh, Maya descent or Nahuatl descent, you can't help but come across all these stories of everybody talking about the the beginning, the beginning origin, everything leads back to giants, including the codices, which were uh, these fig parchment-type, Um, scroll books that were created by the Maya and created by the Aztec and the Mixtec and, you know, the Toltec and all their oral tradition leads back to these people of great stature and you're constantly being told that it's mythology, it's folklore uh, you know, in the course of your study, but you can't help but wonder how is it possible that 90% 90% of everything leads back to this without there being truth to it. So that's, that's what, you know, led me on this path. And then you, you find out that there's all these different groups. You, you have the Kinametsen, you have the Uemas, the Starnake, the Siteka. And, and it goes on and on. You know, the Native American groups in North America uh, also have all these different names for these people of great stature. They tell you that their ancestors came in contact with them, later mated with them. At the beginning, they were enslaved by some in order to perform mining duties for um, you know, metals and, and other minerals. And at some point, I was just like, this, it, it can't just be folklore and mythology. There has to be a truth to this.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think there's so much to this and the oral traditions, which are a lot of the traditions in Native American culture are all, are all oral. And to not pay attention to this, I think would be a huge mistake. And, you know, according to the Northern Paiute oral history, the Citeca are a legendary uh, tribe. And there, there has been mummified remains found and other things discovered uh, both in Nevada and Utah. Let's kind of delve into Utah. If I know that that's a common point that we both have, we're both very interested in this, and just just delve right into right into it. Just jump right into the amazing petroglyphs in Utah, what they depict, and your thoughts about them.
1: Oh yeah, so. When we discuss uh, Barrier Canyon style, which is this Desert Archaic group that was pre-Fremont, uh, des- the Desert Archaic, the Barrier Canyon style, and the Fremont were this very large groupings of Native Americans or other that were in the Utah area that uh, were prior to uh, the oldest which uh, Native Americans that we know of, which were the Paiute and the Shoshone. And it, it's really interesting that, unfortunately, uh, they're all lumped into Barrier Canyon style and Fremont culture. And this Barrier Canyon style has these weird uh, anthropomorphic and, uh, petroglyphs and pictographs of these massively tall creatures, uh, which don't even look human. And then you move a little bit uh more into the future, and you come across the Fremont culture. And again, they're grouped into Fremont culture, but it appears that there were many different groups. Some might have had uh, ancestral Puebloan origins, you know, others Hopi. And they have these trapezoidal large figures that are extremely large compared to other anthropomorphic uh, petroglyphs around them that seem to signify humans homo sapien and it makes you're like well what the heck is this and as you move to northeast utah you come into vernal style fremont which is very unique uh up at mcconkey ranch you have a petroglyph that's well over six feet tall uh The anthropomorphic figure has this elongated skull, six fingers on each hand, and massive feet. And they're headhunting. And what a lot of people don't realize is the vernal-style Fremont were a very unique group. Uh, Unlike any other Fremont culture, they were practicing skull elongation, uh, which very few people know. And it makes you wonder what the hell were they trying to simulate? What did they see or come into contact with that required this to show the elite status of those that were in power? Why did they want to look this way? And as you progress through uh, other locations, other cultural sites, it's the same thing. And they're lacking common day Features like you don't see dance, you don't see musical instruments in the petroglyphs. You don't see maize or corn. Um, it's missing. It's lacking compared to everywhere else. Like you go down to Hohokam in Arizona, the um, Magueyones, and, and you see this. You see these uh, Cocapelli-type uh, anthropomorphs where they're they're playing the flutes and dancing. And, and common day occurrences. You know you see. Uh, them put into the the rock art the location and we're missing 95% of that here in Utah and you got to ask yourself why you know what was going on here and it appears that there were other groups of uh, individuals of great stature that they were coming in contact with
0: you know I find this so fascinating because you mentioned the Cocopelli like Uh, suggestion, and I think it's appropriate to kind of bring in a little bit of theology here, because what's with the Pope's giant symbol, and this is a, you know, we have a Pope, and not to get too religious, but he was recently seen wearing a garment that had, for all intents and purposes, a, a giant, a petroglyph, uh representing the in the north and this symbolizes you know it's it's kind of strange because on one hand he's supposed to not believe in these sorts of things and yet on the other hand he is from you know south america this is symbolized in a lot of south american culture and sure enough he's wearing it in some images what are your thoughts of that have you seen those images james
1: I have, and, and, you know, that's a great point. And I feel that he's expressing the cultures that are there and where he comes from in South America, that he's basically saying that their their history can be just as correct as European history. And it was his way of showing that there's more to this world than what, you know, the Europeans – Forced upon everyone, especially those in the Americas, and he wanted to, uh, I I guess, clearly show where he was from and that these people are just as intelligent as those that originated from Europe. Uh, Their culture and their history was just as rich, and they had just as much to offer uh, the world. And that was his way of showing that they're just as right as the Catholicism was that originated, you know, over in Europe.
0: I love it, man. I can't, I can't agree more. And I think it's just so cool that this is permeating society in a way that I think was, uh, was meant to happen because it's a very real chain in the link of our history and kind of, kind of delving into these other areas that have, giant symbolism and such um the the giants of monte prama are ancient stone sculptures created by the Nuragic civilization of sardinia italy and these were discovered in 1974 there are also petroglyphs in sardinia depicting giants and you have spoken about some of the similarities between these giants and the depictions in the Uinta Basin of Utah. Can we go into that a little bit?
1: Sure. So when you look at the Nuragic culture's uh, artifacts, including the uh, stone figures that they created uh, that were located there, they also, in Sardinia, had the hypogeums, which were these underground uh, burials. Uh, They were single burials. And there was also a, a, a culture before the Nuragic that had this, these ties to what we would consider these people of large stature. And what they would consider the giant burials were these Upsilon symbols, you know, you know, almost like a goalpost uh, in, in football, uh, like a, a cup. It looks like a cup. And they were specifically made the face, the eyes, the nose, and this was, again, you said it, the Nuragic culture, which was a Bronze Age culture in Sardinia. There was also a trickling effect down to Malta of these giants. Um, and then you come all the way over to northeast Utah and you look at uh, the Dry Fork Canyon petroglyphs and uh, those around there and in you the into mountains. And they look almost identical, almost 100% identical in facial structure, facial features, the way the eyes are, the noses, you find the epsilon symbol on the tunics or the armor that one group of these giants are wearing. And it's really neat because you can categorize the giants that were in Northeast Utah into two groups. One had an epsilon symbol on the tunic, and the others had these two elongated rectangles from the shoulders down that don't quite meet in almost a V shape. They were head hunting each other, possibly, uh, cannibalism was also involved, but you, if I were to mix the artifacts, uh, from Sardinia and Malta and some artifacts that were located in, uh, around Price, Utah, Um, And in that part of the Ashley uh, National Forest, you know, around uh, Nine Mile Canyon, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm -hmm. And you got to ask yourself, you know, how the heck is that possible? And and most anthropologists and archaeologists don't like to talk about diffusionism, that, you know, everything originated from one place and then just swept across the world, because that would mean they were seafaring or other. But You think about it, and a lot of these people of great stature are tied into being um, amazing uh, seafarers uh, on the ocean, traveling great distances. And who follows this are the Phoenicians. And where were the Phoenicians? They were in Malta, Sardinia, even possibly here in the desert southwest, because we find a lot of their symbols in the rocks. Uh, Either pictographs or petroglyphs, you hear about it in oral traditions all the way from the Gulf of Mexico uh, all the way to the west coast of Mexico or current-day Mexico, and then straight up northward. And uh, it, it makes you wonder if the Phoenicians came into contact with or learned about through ancient books or texts that are now lost or stories and followed those people of great stature throughout the world in in the same conquest of minerals, metals, gold, silver, copper. I mean, look at the amount of copper that was mined here in the Americas that we're still trying to figure out, you know, who did it and where did it end up?
0: It's so true. And I, I really like how there is more than one region and area Uh, that is revealing secrets of the past and lending credence to the study academically of giants. And these discoveries just keep on coming. Um, I'm I'm reminded of the Lovelock Cave here in Nevada, where originally they thought that this large mummy was 15 to 2,000 years old. And now they have found that it may be much older, uh, possibly, 10,600 years old, which is just mind-blowing, blows all of the Egyptian mummies away. And here again, we have this amazing Paiute Shoshone tribe, a group of Native Americans based in the Nevada desert near this cave, which claim cultural affiliation, not only with the tales and the mythology, but they there's there's a lot of stories lending credence to this. And it's not just here in the deserts of the Southwest in the United States, I want to jump to the Kandahar giant, which I think is mind-blowing because it's a more modern depiction of what we're talking about. And that's that's just this giant, which was an, an enormous humanoid creature, allegedly, I should say, encountered and killed by a group of American army soldiers on a mountainside in Afghanistan. Yet the depiction and the way that they say this thing looked falls right into place and right into line with a lot of these other depictions. What are your thoughts of the Kandahar giant?
1: So I, I've heard of it and I've heard the stories, but I I really don't know a whole lot about it. And I think there's a, you know, a group online that say it didn't exist and others that uh, attempt to say that it did, but I have yet to see See anything that's directed its way back to first hand um, knowledge that's been told to people. So, um, the possibilities you know, there, there's hundreds and hundreds of caverns, uh, caves, and cavern systems running through the mountains that are uh, around Afghanistan. And those areas are so ancient. Uh, I mean, you're talking about what was told to be uh, possibly origin, you know, near Mesopotamia and things of that nature, uh, very close to that. So, I mean, is it possible? Sure. Uh, Look at all the creatures that we've found recently, you know, after tsunamis and things of that nature that were supposed to have been extinct for hundreds of millions of years and washed up on the shores. So is it possible that um, you, you know, there's uh, underground cavern systems that extend throughout the world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you find that uh, here in Arizona where I'm at, in New Mexico, the caverns run for hundreds of miles with cenotes everywhere that very few people know. Same up in Utah through the Uintas, there's cavern systems everywhere. So I think it would be a really good place to hide or to, you know, live and create a society elsewhere away from um, our current uh Civilization. Uh, it, so, if there was a possibility of a cre- creature or a human of that size, that stature, um, having not been seen or found or um, enculturated into our civilization, that would probably be the best way of, you know, being kept out of society was possibly living underground or in those cavern systems.
0: I can't agree more. And those cave systems in northeastern Utah, I can attest. I've been in a few of them, and they go for what seems like forever. You get up on the red cloud loop. You go down into the Uinta Basin from there. And these cave systems just go on and on and on. And many of them, they can't find the end of. They've tried putting dye into. I can attest to all that. And I find it really interesting that... At least Native American culture and its mythology or legend, its history, its oral history says that these giants were harmful or were at least uh, dangerous and would, for all intents and purposes, attack the tribes. So my question is, why is it that the pseudo-archaeology and you know, some of the more controversial claims are so debated among mainstream scholars the general public why is it so hard for people to wrap their heads around the possibility that some of this may have took place
1: well yeah because if you have something like that it would completely change what we've been taught in school academia would be wrong Uh, anthropologists archaeologists would you know think that they would look like um, like stooges and they don't they don't want that they they want to be the ones that are in control of what's being told Um, it's and people have to realize that you know scientists don't know everything they like to seem like they do and they throw a lot of jargon that very few people understand to make themselves feel better about themselves and to you know put the common man in their place or the lay person in their place and They don't want to have that paradigm shift into what ancient history was because it's going to shift history for humanity, for Homo sapiens, far, far back compared to what they're saying. Um, You know, they're saying that we really suddenly took off about 5,000 years ago. That's a crock. I mean, you're probably talking hundreds of thousands of years ago Mm -hmm. would be a better uh, spot. To begin, or at least where we, you know, suddenly took off, and, and what our creations were, and how we thought, but yeah, um, it, it would alter academia. And you have to remember, and I kind of understand that, you know, these people that work at the universities they run on grant money, and they get that grant money from other people in that same uh, background, who are going to approve you know, what they're positing towards uh, being looked at, being researched and investigated. And if it doesn't fit the paradigm, they're not going to get that money. And if they don't get that money, they're not going to be able to go out and excavate, make new discoveries, write a research paper, uh, have it peer-reviewed, you know, and keep it within that same box. And, you know, then you lose your professorship, your tenure, and it's just a a spiraling effect or a domino effect. And I I understand that, but at some point, um, it has to shift. And I think as um, those older uh, academia, those older professors retire or pass away I think the younger generations are more open to the possibilities that history is not what we've been told um it's very easy that a lot of it was lost to major catastrophic events which you know we know there was a massive deluge throughout the world that's documented by almost every freaking culture and civilization you know so at some point i think it'll happen um probably within the next 25 years i think there'll be a big shift as to How uh, long, you know, our cultures and societies have been acting and moving forward the way that we've been told. I think it's going to be a huge shift, uh, a lot farther back into history.
0: Yeah, and sadly, I have to agree with you. It does seem like a lot of these things, unfortunately, bump up against that financial problem, you know, where money gets involved and it, it, it's unfortunate because the research in my opinion is so much more important than that. And we are kind of busting through there's, there's light seeping through these, these, uh, boundaries of, uh, mainstream historians. And that kind of leads me to my next question. There are a lot of tales and they may just be tales of major museums, AKA, uh, such as the Smithsonian and others. And, the stories that I've heard that when things are found of this nature, they swoop in with agile quickness and kind of shut things down. Have you come across anything like that?
1: I've never uh, really interacted with the Smithsonian, uh, but I have been in multiple museums in the back where a lot of stuff are incorrectly categorized and logged and packaged and forgotten about for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, 100 years. Um, and it gets stored in a basement or in a drawer. And, it, you know, as we moved from cataloging and categorizing in, in books um, into the, and moving that onto the computer systems and the software, all that was forgotten about and lost. So, I mean, think about that, too. Imagine if we can't keep track of history for 50 years or 100 years, how are we going to keep track of ancient history, you know? And um, I've also um, – there are some people, again, and we just kind of discussed about that, that don't want to lose their status in um, – history books or at their university they don't want things to change because you know that would change how they're looked at Uh, they would become yesterday's news and a lot of them forget now that you know science is meant to you know be proven wrong and for the new the new understanding to come about and that that change is inevitable it's happened uh, as long as we've you know, kept track of our history. So um, in in regards to it being done intentionally, I I could definitely see uh, why it would be done. I've never personally uh, experienced that. So it's just something from, you know, firsthand knowledge I don't have that understanding of. But, yeah, I mean, I I could see, you know, uh, that being done by accident or on purpose
0: yeah and and i think kind of going back to uh the the small discussion we had about the pope sporting that petroglyph depiction of a giant on his clothing i can't help but believe that the vatican archives have valuable information concerning giants at least historically unfortunately it's unlikely i will ever see that and um, speaking of keeping history, keeping journals, things of that nature, there is a story of a gentleman in Utah named John Brewer who claimed to have discovered this chamber behind uh, a place called Temple Hill in Manti, Utah, more precisely, a hill behind that. But he claims that he made repeated returns to this cave. And he was shown the cave beforehand from an elderly man named George Keller. Keller visited the chamber in his youth and he was shown by a local native named Lone Eagle. There seems to be an oral tradition and verification of that. Yet, again, he had a journal. And much like the whole story, there's doubt cast upon the entire claim because he he kept the journal to himself, and he kept it a secret. And I think that shows the importance of sharing a lot of this knowledge, even if it's in an oral tradition, because a lot of this gets lost, as you said. It can be generation to generation.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's uh, it, it's an interesting um, choice that you chose Manti and Brewer's Cave, because that's something that uh, our team has been looking into. Uh, recently, and we might have located it. Mm. And we're working on that right now. Uh, we've been underground uh, in Manti, and there is a possibility that it might be what Brewer was doing. So uh, I, I can't go into great detail about it, but I'm hoping, you know, within the next year or so that we're maybe able to make some type of discovery um, that goes into the description of this uh, cave that he had dug into. Unfortunately, he blew up the original entrance to keep people from going into it and then created a different vertical entrance, which is a lot more difficult to locate. And that's kind of um, the blockage that we've been coming across is uh Trying to figure out where that vertical shaft goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, kind of not 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 to pry into that, but kind of delving into the the mystery surrounding how they appeared, or at least historically, what Native Americans, such as the Paiute, uh, described. It it seems like these giants were cannibalistic. I mean, that the Paiutes, I believe, called them the Numatikuta, which is means people eaters. And have you come across that in your research that these were in fact cannibalistic?
1: So, uh, like we had, we touched on it, uh, they were headhunters, and there's a very good possibility that they were cannibalistic. And remember too that even the Aztec, uh, who are the part of the Udo-Aztec and uh, Native Americans, which also include the Paiute and mm-hmm. the Shoshone. Uh, they practice cannibalism, the Aztec, the, who are really the Kulua Mexica from Tenochtitlan. So we have all these groups, you know. Uh, what it signifies is a good question. We're not quite sure. But, yeah, there's, there's an absolute great possibility that they were. Um, also, uh, you know, When you, the Ka that uh, Paiute word is a tool eater, the tool, which is like a reed um, that grows in marshlands. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people forget that all of northern Nevada was a massive lake that only recently dried up in the early 1930s because we dammed up the water. (laughs) So there were these massive lakes and these tool people. Well, guess what? They were living on tool uh, boats out in the lake. They were creating tool duck decoys, tool sandals, uh, which are in museums in Carson City, Nevada. The, they match directly with the giants um, that are known to live, have lived in South America uh, same type of description around Lake Titicaca in Peru, same description in central Mexico, and same description in Europe in such places as Malta, where they were creating all these uh, instruments um, out of reeds. And, and that just that goes to tell you that this is a worldwide event, not uh, localized, and it's been suppressed, forgotten about, lost to cataclysmic events. Um, But it just goes to tell you that maybe including the cannibalism or the headhunting, that these were widespread and not localized to just Nevada and Utah.
0: This is fascinating. And, you know, the descriptions, uh, you hear red hair, multiple rows of teeth. And I mean, abstractly, even in today's age, we have individuals or people who have a genetic background of supernumerary teeth, and it seems to be characterized by an excessive number of teeth in relation to the normal amount that should be in your mouth. Um, there, there are some scientific uh, explanations of this, but it could be genetic. And it brings me to the fact that they were described as having, for the most part, red hair, multiple rows of teeth, uh, I've even heard of more, more one extra digit. Um, anything come to mind as far as descriptions in the oral traditions that kind of stand out?
1: Sure. So yeah, you, you you know you hit it right on the head. Um, they were supposedly polidactyl, so they had uh, six digits on their hands. Uh, a lot of them had six digits on their feet. You can even. One history book that a lot of people believe in, the Bible, goes back to tell that these people of Rafa, the, their uh, genealogy goes back to Rafa, including uh, Goliath, had 24 digits total, you know? And um, a lot of them were auburn hair, which is very close to red-haired. Uh, in regards to the, the teeth, I've, I've never seen dentition or a mandible uh, personally, in order to you know be able to say yeah, um, I, I've come across this, but in the oral tradition, like you're asking, yeah, they these people of great stature. Some of them um, had these extra digits. They had they were over seven feet tall. They had um, the ability or to eat humans. There's a lot of oral tradition with the uh, Ute. It's um, specific that they've actually now logged into books about talking about having to uh, stop this large individual that was eating all the Ute, uh, he and his two wives. And um, it took a big sword to cut his head off, which is another uh, I- interesting thing, too, because I don't remember um, the Ute having swords But it's in that tradition, and it could have been, it might have been a different or a similar type weapon to it, but that was how the translation went. So, yeah, it's just, it comes back to all these similarities, uh, you know, whether you be in the Mesoamerican area or South America, here in the desert southwest, um, and it really makes you, you know, stop and wonder what was going on. It's just really cool.
0: It is so cool because I think there's just enough out there that this is something that cannot be avoided or completely neglected, especially when, when you hear stories such as Brewer's Cave, which is fairly recent, or the Kandahar Giant, again, fairly recent. This lends credence to the fact that there could still be some of these giants living in various parts of the world. And you know, an archaic legend uh, recounts that the Giza pyramids may have been built by a race of giants. And it was shared in a lecture by Freemason Manley P. Hall and giantologist Kristen T. Harris. And they put it in a YouTube video. And uh, I think the lecture was Atlantis and the Gods of Antiquity. Have you come across any other myth legend or stories of giants building things such as mounds in ohio or other parts of the united states or the world
1: as a matter of fact yes uh pyramid of cholula in uh, mexico uh, just outside of mexico city was said to have been built or at least directed by one of seven brothers of seven giants that survived the major the last major deluge and The other brothers uh, have been traced back to possibly having helped build or been part of the architects that designed Teotihuacan. So you have the uh, Toltec and the Aztec and other different uh, older cultures and civilizations that specifically said, yes, it was uh, these seven brothers of great size. They were the giants uh Kinemetsen giants as a matter of fact uh, that built the largest pyramid in the world which is the pyramid of Cholula by volume it's twice the size of the great pyramid of Giza
0: Wow Yeah I mean you would think you know even if even on the lower end if you had if if you had men in the 7 to 9 foot range you can only imagine the musculoskeletal ability to move things around and build things. And uh, there have been accounts of the giants being even larger than that. What have you come across in your research as far as some of the sizes? Have you heard of, what's the biggest you've heard of, I guess, is my question.
1: Oh, gosh. When I went uh, up to Reno, um, to the the museum up there to go through JT Reed's, um, he had 65 boxes of documentation and articles uh, that he had kept, and he was obsessed with the Sete Ka and those that were out of Lovelock Cave. Um, he said he had actually seen several of the, the larger mummies um, that had come out while they were mining um, the bat guano in the cave. And uh, he you're talking 65 anchor boxes of information and i only went through six of those boxes and it took days but i mean he was documenting even using a lot of map uh, in his diagrams of up to 12 13 feet that were being found and believe it or not in california most of these or <laughs> the, the larger ones were being found in california which again goes to other stories and traditions that they had actually taken over the channel islands off of the uh coast of California, around Santa Barbara, that they were all out there. Um, and even the Chumash talk about not just seeing these th- these people of great stature, but the Chumash also saw a lot of things in the air, in their pictographs, which are probably the most beautiful pictographs I've ever seen in my life. They seem to have seen a lot of activity involving UAP. Was that part of the giants? I don't know, but they were logging them together. So... I'm not quite sure what to make out of that, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's incredible. So probably about 12 to 13 feet. But here's something that's really kind of cool: is when the conquistadors, the Spaniards, were traveling through the desert southwest, they, on many occasions, kept coming across these people of great stature that were over seven feet tall. They averaged. The women averaged about six foot six and the men were over seven feet that commonly had red hair, auburn hair and blonde hair. And um, so I had gone last uh, summer to Mexico City to go to the Anthropology Museum um, to go through the the journals Mm -hmm. of these conquistadors. And unfortunately, they've been moved to the Museum of the Americas in Madrid, Spain. Mm. So my wife and I plan on heading out there, hopefully in November of this year, uh, once we're able to uh, confirm access to those journals with the uh, anthropologist that's in charge of them.
0: Oh, that would be great. And it's, it's so interesting. It's just so interesting how these cultural myths lend so much credence to this. And, you know, legends and myths uh, are something that thrive among the culture in the Solomon Islands, but uh, possibly the most captivating are the stories of giants who may still live deep within the jungles of Guadalcanal. And what do you think is the likelihood that giants may still exist on our planet
1: today? Uh, I would love for that to you know be the case. Um, like I said, that There's so much that we just don't quite understand what's below us, uh, underneath our feet. Um, You know, a big part of my uh, research and investigation is using a lot of non-invasive techniques like ground-penetrating radar, 3D ground imaging, to see what's below there. And I always tell people, you know, they go, oh, it's, it's impossible for that, but think about it. Every year, it seems, in New Mexico, the cavern systems that they're tracking grow by 6 to 11 miles because they, they find an area of it that had collapsed. They open it up, and here's another 9 miles of caverns, uh, and, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and you hear the stories of the Apache Indians you know, getting away from the U.S. cavalry in Arizona and popping up days later in New Mexico without ever having been seen, and that they're joking— And making fun of them because they use the underground cavern system to get away from them all the time. And then, you know, I've personally been in the Uinta Mountains underground where once you get about three-tenths or four-tenths of a mile, there's a massive underground lake, a lake, that you have to traverse to get into the next cavern system. And only a couple scuba divers have done it so far. So, yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, look at we're, what we're discovering—these new cores of iron and things that we didn't know exist or thought existed. So it's absolutely possible. At least I believe it's possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I believe it is too. I think, uh, you know, once you've seen these cavern systems in Central America, South America, and around in Mexico it's, it's phenomenal. And many of them, as you mentioned, have water. I mean, they've got everything you need to survive. They go for long distances, even in, in the Uinta Basin of Utah, we've, we've discussed this. And I think it's interesting because there are yearly, a number of reports that are including giants, UAPs, UFOs, And the NSA has a list of these, and the NSA reports to the President's Intelligence Oversight Board, and there is a number of these yearly that come through, whether people believe that these may be Bigfoot, UFOs, UAPs, etc. What are your thoughts, kind of going into the UAP arena, if there is a correlation between these two, what might it be?
1: Yeah. You know, that's just, it's a hard question to answer in, in a small amount of words. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, there's multiple possibilities, and then we start really getting into a completely different uh, topic of um, these possible gaps in our spatial and temporal field that, uh are very possible when you go into the physics of it uh, through uh, you know, electron diffusion regions and things of that nature where there may very well be a possibility that there's spatial and temporal differences in certain locations. Um, and it's not just one or two, but there's multiple areas in the world that appear to have this, and those in the past understood them and knew how to interact with them Uh, whether that was through uh, fasting and altering of frequency and vibration through the use of musical instruments and chanting or they use technology that we're not aware of and has been lost, Um, there appear to be these locations and areas where um, you're able to alter that spatial and temporal field. And if you want to, I mean, a lot of people are going to, say it and I'll use the word a portal you know an interdimensional portal or a gateway a way of traveling Um, I'm not sure how it takes place or if there's multiple possibilities of how that occurs but if you think about someone else having that capability or that technology or that knowledge of knowing how to do this you know why can't they come in and out of where we are. You know, people always say the Bigfoot's there and you've never been able to get a photo or a video or see it. Maybe because we're sharing, you know, space with it, but not the right time or the right time, but not the right space. Um, And and that's why I'm saying that this is a topic and a, a discussion that could go on for hours and hours because it's so rich in detail, especially when you bring the possibility through physics and the math that it's absolutely possible You know, and you got to discuss two-dimension, three-dimension, and um, higher dimensions that if something was of a higher dimensional vibration frequency or uh, physical mass, we wouldn't interact with it. But maybe on those rare occasions where it bends into our three-dimensional world and we see these shadow figures or we see a UAP, and then we have to think, you know, Think out of the box, why does a UAP have to be a, a vehicle? You know We use telescopes to see from our planet to other planets, and there's a lens on both ends, right? Mm-hmm. So why can't what we think is a UAP, UAP, this round ball, not be a three-dimensional telescope, where something's looking at one end, that's three-dimensional, that's a ball, and it's traversing through space and time, uh, whether that be a tunnel uh, that it's created, but on the other end is another round ball that pops into our, our space. And we see it as a light, uh, or a, a, an orb. And it's not just a telescope that somebody's kind of, you know, looking in on us and seeing what we're doing. So I, I, I think the possibilities for so much interaction between what people consider a cryptid or giants or ufos or or the new you know the this unidentified aerial phenomena um it, it's it's a matter of understanding is it metaphysical is it physical there's just too many possibilities i mean it'd be a great discussion to have over a three or four hour podcast
0: yeah and you know i couldn't agree more i'm so mesmerized by that gray area in between that you're talking about and, you know, the idea of plasma intelligences and theories of panspermia. And I think that it could be evidence that UFOs, Nephilim, and, you know, to get into semantics, even angels in ancient scripture, that these could all be elements that were actually something alien to what we consider reality and i don't mean alien in little green men I, mean, I don't want to misinterpret that but kind of uh along those same lines i think it's super interesting how you know the genetics of it does seem to quantify the possibility that there was possibly some manipulation genetically as you mentioned that man has been around longer Than many historians believe he was. And, you know, I just think of that girl, I can't remember her name back in 2010 and how she how she came forward and described how all US presidents were related, I think all except for Martin Van Buren. I can't remember exactly, but they were all related to King John of England. And many of the scientists came forward and said, Well, yeah, but this isn't a conspiracy necessarily, because mankind came literally from one couple, and that just kind of leads us down the rabbit hole. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think there may have been, whether cosmic, divine, or on some level, alien, some kind of genetic manipulation to mankind at some point?
1: I think it's possible. I mean, you know, how is it that out of millions and millions of species on this planet, we're the only ones that are capable of of thinking and in- and doing what we do, you know, it, it, it's mind-boggling how that's even possible. That only one, one species, Homo sapiens sapien, was capable of that. I just, I, I don't believe it. I, I don't, I don't think um, mathematically that that's even possible. It shouldn't have occurred. So, could there have been manipulation? Yeah. I mean, you know, if there was something of greater intelligence that. You know, spliced with uh, a hominid to create us. I think that's a, a great possibility that should be researched and investigated at the academic level and not laughed out and just considered pseudoscience.
0: Yeah, it is, man. It's such a, it's such an awesome and interesting rabbit hole because you know, what comes to mind, not bringing it back to the basin, but it seems like all roads do lead to the Uintah Basin in some way, shape or form. And I'm reminded of the CRISPR technologies that are being uh, funded and looked into by Brandon Fugel when it comes to the woolly mammoth. And, you know, I just think to myself, you know, what are the possibilities if we were to go extinct, yet we were able to bring back this creature that the future, you know, might be held in the realm of something that we genetically modified. And yet it takes the helm of our reality. And I don't know, there's just, there's so much and so, so many, so many places we could go with that. I could, I could just talk to you forever. I love where your research is and what, what, you know, your conversations, I, they could just go for hours and hours. It's awesome. Let's tell listeners as we kind of wrap things up, where they can get more James Keenan, follow what you're doing and keep tabs on everything that you're you're up to.
1: Sure. So um, in the last year I had decided to go ahead and put a lot of my research and investigation out. So I created a YouTube channel. It's uh, the standard, you know, www.youtube.com forward slash C forward slash. And then the important part is James Keenan Giants and the paranormal, uh, and the J and the K are capitalized if you're gonna uh, search for it in YouTube. So it's James Keenan, Giants and Paranormal. Um, I put up, I believe about 61 videos of everything, including my search for what I believe is origin for mankind in the Uinta Mountains, known to the Mesoamericans as Tomwon Khan. Some of the people in Utah Have altered that to Kershynab.
0: Very cool.
1: Sure. Oh, and then also um, September 6th through 9th, I'll be speaking at Phenomicon in Vernal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, another great place to kind of deal with the phenomena that's occurring not just in Utah but throughout the world. There's going to be a lot of uh, good speakers there you know, uh, talking about cryptids, especially Bigfoot, uh, the phenomena occurring at, um, you into basin and other things, you know, I'm going to touch on the giants, uh, quite a bit, not just in, uh, the desert Southwest, but throughout the world.
0: Yeah. I think these things merge and you have such a great way of describing, you know, the reality of how they merge into our reality. And, um, Really quickly, uh what are your thoughts of the paleogenetics and scientists saying that they can bring back the woolly mammoths, but maybe they shouldn't? The, even they are unsure.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I I think people need to start watching Jurassic Park and the Terminator more to uh <laughs> see what's going to happen if they start doing that and start messing with AI.
0: Hmm. I think a lot of things. I mean, it's pioneering work, but I think you're right. A lot of these things could kind of uh bite us in the proverbial rear end um what's interesting i think is that the scientists uh, the company's called colossal and uh obviously they're they're trying to uh generate interest to this from a conservation and preservation standpoint because obviously these are species that are obviously not here anymore Um, However, what I find super fascinating is that they say the resulting animal known as a mammophant would look and presumably behave much like a woolly mammoth. But as you pointed out, very clearly, we just don't know what what will
1: happen. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we should mess with nature in that way. uh, I mean, that's my personal belief.
0: Yeah, I personally think you have a point there. And, uh, lastly, um, when it comes to your Utah work, you also have some books and I don't, I don't want to skip to the end and not mention that, um, you're also an author and you have books for sale. Can you tell listeners where they can purchase those?
1: Yes. uh, You can go to amazon.com forward slash author forward slash James Keenan and it's K-E-E-N-A-N and all of my books are listed there for sale and if you don't like amazon you can go to a barnes and noble store or barnes and noble online and acquire them that way
0: always a great conversation james uh keep fighting the good fight and doing the awesome research i love everything you're up to and uh, can't wait to talk to you again sometime
1: sounds good i appreciate it thanks ryan
0: Love my conversations with James. They always lead to amazing and interesting places. Our world is so much more interesting than many would like us to believe. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground. But don't forget to take a look around. in my time machine third eye feeling like it need vising blast off blast off blast off come blast off in my time machine third eye feeling like it need vising blast off blast off